With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. We are officially done with week one. Crazy to think we've made it to this point after everything that's happened in the last six months, but we have live football to talk about and we could not be happier for it. Joe Londergan and Eric Henry here with you once again uh, before we dive into the week that was in CUSA. Eric, how'd how'd you enjoy the first weekend of live CUSA football in quite some time? Oh, man, it was amazing, dude. I was fired up on Thursday night to watch UAB. Um, it's Saturday, of course. I just kind of got my fill with the uh, Middle Tennessee State game. Of course, that one was a bit of a stinker. But overall, man, just happy to have college football back. And uh, I think the most the hilarious thing of my weekend was as I was watching the uh, Middle Tennessee State game, I got like three urgent texts telling me that my social security number was needed and I should verify it. So just uh, another day here in Florida, you know, it's like uh, everything makes sense. Everything is right with the world. There are social security number scams in Florida and college football. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty throw in hurricanes and you've got uh, Florida bingo right there. So let's dive into UAB and central Arkansas here. Uh, UAB beating uh the Bears there, 45 to 35, uh, really solid day for UAB as they uh, beat uh, an FCS team that is uh, really showing their uh, prowess within that level of football, but um, certainly not mistake-free football for the Blazers. But uh, Spencer Brown leads the way with 24 carries and 127 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Austin Watkins also solid day, seven catches for 72 yards. Uh, Tyler Johnson, 143 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, so an okay day for UAB as they start the season with a win. But, um, you know, there are definitely worse ways to start the season if you're a UAB fan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Joe. I'm not going to harp on this one too much. I think initially, the if you didn't see this game, the numbers may surprise you because you see that Central Arkansas put up 35 points. But you also got to remember, they had some points off of turnovers. Unfortunately, we had the situation again. Good Tyler, bad Tyler, the quarterback who has been compared to as the college version of Jameis Winston, which actually is a horrible comparison because Jameis Winston was one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. I I think they're meaning the NFL version of Jameis um, and Tyler Johnson III. Had a really bad pick. Uh, I believe it was the second or third drive. It just, he threw the ball right into coverage and, you know, that one got him a a bit of a hook. Um, He did split time with the uh, other quarterback, Brad Lacero, on the roster. So, excuse me, Bryson Lacero. I knew I was going to mess up that name, the freshman from Colorado. But all in all, good showing for UAB. Again, you you might not necessarily want to see them give up 35 points to Central Arkansas. We'll have to cut that down if they have any chance against the Hurricanes. But the positive, uh, I don't know how much of this game you caught, Joe, but Spencer Brown is back. He dropped some weight. Uh, I think he may have bulked up a little bit, Joe, because he was taking so many carries in his first two years that he felt like he had to be the guy to deliver the blow instead of getting hit. 
And that may have hurt him a little bit last year, but he is back a big way. 127 yards on 24 carries, one touchdown. So great to see that there. Austin Watkins, seven for 72. Christopher Mole, of course, leading the defense with eight tackles. So all in all, good day. Um, like I said, you, you might have wanted to see the the 35 points for an FCS opponent not be there, but um, I, I think all in all, Bill Clark's club has a good reason to be happy with their performance. So with that, let's move on to uh, Southern Miss hosting South Alabama here. Uh, the Jaguars winning that game 32-21 to 21 in the end. Uh, so a disappointing start for uh, the Golden Eagles, definitely. But um, I know we were expecting a big performance out of Jack Abraham. We did get one to some degree with 314 yards. Um, but... You know, absolutely. If you are that ball club, you're hoping for a better start to the year, given uh, the way everything's gone. But we knew their back was up against the wall, and uh, it is even more so now as uh, Jay Hopkins, uh, Jay Hopson rather, has uh, decided to step down as the head coach of the program. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I mean, is anyone who may have seen this game, if you didn't see this game, um, the first thing you notice from Southern Miss is this came out flat. You know, they got down early. They were down 13-0. And I love using the old, I believe it's a Mike Tyson line, right? Where, you know, everyone has a game plan until you get punched in the mouth. That's exactly what happened with Southern Miss. They went down 13-0, kind of fought back, but it was clear that South Alabama had their A game. From, you know, the word go, from opening kick, it seemed as if South Alabama, everything was going their way, even to the point of the fact that they win this game 32-21, but they had two turnovers. I mean, Southern Miss lost. The, uh, Southern Miss won the turnover battle. They just couldn't get anything going uh, efficiently on offense. The run game, the, the true freshman Frank Gore Jr. made his debut, actually led the team in rushing 12 carries for 32 yards. But the story of the day, as us as CUSA guys were thinking about Jack Abraham, the story of the day, the story of the day, excuse me, was USA's quarterback Desmond Trotter went 16 to 27 for 299. He just looked like a playmaker. You know, he looked like the quarterback out there that everyone should be watching. Watching. And yeah, I mean, we'll touch on it in the middle part of this podcast as far as Jay Hopson and where his future now doesn't have a future with the Golden Eagles. He's chosen to resign. But I just think all in all, this is really a turning point um, or could be a turning point for Southern Miss just this year in terms of their season. It's make or break. You know, they came out so flat that I think Jay Hopson realized they may need a new voice, may need a new voice, excuse me, given the effect of the transfers. And there's no denying that, you know, when you lose the guys like Rachin Booth, uh, Jacques Turner, trying to improve on a defense that already was in the lower half of Conference USA last year, that didn't help either. But just all in all, you know, a flat performance against a team in, in South Alabama that went 2-10 last year, hasn't won more than six games since 2012. Uh, disappointing, all in all, but kudos to Southern, uh, excuse me, to South Alabama and going into Hasburg and getting the victory. Absolutely. So switching gears from a team who uh, started the season in a disappointing way to a team that passed their first test of the young season, uh, Marshall beating Eastern Kentucky 59 to zero at home uh, is about as good a start as you can hope for for Grant Wells, at least against that quality of opponent anyway, uh, 307 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, Talik Keaton also contributed uh, two catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. Um so really kudos to Doc Holliday's squad for what they were able to do there. And, um, you know, we, we figured that the passing attack was going to be solid given the strength of the receiving core with the thundering herd. Um, but given what, uh, you know, Grant Wells showed on Saturday as well, it looks like um, that attack is uh, taking a positive step forward. Again, still have yet to play an FBS level opponent, but you got to be happy if, if you're a fan of the Kelly Green there. 
no doubt about it. To get to my overall point, I have to start with a trip down memory lane. I got a little bit crushed on Twitter because I made the point that, you know, it's a little bit hot takey of me, but if Grant Wells is the quarterback last year instead of Isaiah Green, you don't know how CUSA East ends up. And I had Western fans and FAU fans saying, oh, come on, it's one game. It's an FCS opponent. Hear me out. In Marshall's losses last year, they went eight and five. Isaiah Green had eight interceptions. If my memory serves me correct, he had three fumbles lost, so 11 turnovers to two touchdown passes. No one's saying that Grant Wells would have gone in there and been Dan Marino or, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning. What I am saying is that if they get more consistent quarterback play, you don't know how those games turn out. Marshall beat FAU last year. I know FAU fans will be up in arms in the fact that they feel that uh, the referees march Brendan Knox down the field and not the Marshall offensive line. That aside, my, my overall point is this. To get to Grant Wells and his performance, I just feel. Yes, the four touchdowns, 307, that came against an, an, an FCS opponent, excuse me. However, if you can just get consistent quarterback play with Brendan Knox, and I was very impressed with the receiver to lead Keaton, Brock Thompson. They look like guys uh, tied into Xavier Gaines, of course. They look like they have enough talent on the outside that they'll be able to make up for the loss of Obi Obialo, which was my big question. And defensively, Devontae Beckett is one of the best linebackers uh, in, in all of you know, G5 football. If they've got that going, Look out, you know, you don't know. I would say this year, as much as any, is a year that any team could really win the East or the West because of the COVID situation and everything. You know, it's just up in the air. So all in all, that was my big takeaway. If Grant Wells can be consistent, look out. All solid points. I mean, I know I was uh, definitely happy with what Grant Wells was able to do. Um, I know there were a few overthrows here and there, but you got to understand that there's got to be some apathy there once you get up, uh, once you get up by three or four scores on a, on a team there. But um, yeah, it definitely looks like Marshall's headed in the right direction. And uh, you know, with Grant Wells given as little prep time as he really had, that's uh, you know, all the more impressive. Um, and moving on to a game that we thought was going to be the best of the weekend in terms of entertainment value um, ended up really not being so, uh, unless you count the antics of the cadets in the stands who uh, always <laughs> seem to you know, put a smile on people's faces. But uh, talking, of course, about Army just trouncing Middle Tennessee State 42 to nothing. Uh, Chase Cunningham uh, was the leading passer in this game, uh, went 7-10 for 63 yards, uh, saw a number of uh, Army ball carriers, as they want to do, uh, rack up some big yardage, but Tyrell Robinson led the way with nine carries for 94 yards. Um, but I think the most frustrating thing about this game was, I mean, we kind of talked about it last week with uh, Middle Tennessee and how it's very hard to prepare for a triple option offense, even when you have, uh, you know, good time and you don't, you know, have your practice time cut incredibly short due to a pandemic. But uh, um, still, you got to think like they were going to perform a little bit better when the conference was in such a, uh, you know, a prime spot on a Saturday afternoon against, um, you know, as high a level opponent as they can, you know, really hope to get under the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Let me go back to my Twitter mentions again. You know, I had a ton of people saying, oh, you guys have hyped up Asher O'Hara. And I know I heard a lot of hype about him even on the ESPN broadcast, you know, as well. So saying that we've overhyped him and, you know, he had one year and now the pressure's on him. Guys, Asher O'Hara was bad. There's, there's no doubt about that. However, 
so was the rest of Middle Tennessee. Uh, he did go six of, uh, what was it, six of, or nine of 14 with two picks, but they also had two fumbles. The early fumble by Jay McDonald didn't help things and really put them in a hole. That entire team fell behind early. I'm just going to read off some numbers to you really quick, Joe. 13 of 15 on third down, one of one on fourth down, um, and you uh, run for five yards a pop. I believe it was 62 carries for 355 yards for Army. No team is gonna is gonna look good if you give up 13 of 15 third down conversions. So you know, by all means, did Asher Harris play poorly? Yes, but the entire Middle Tennessee team just looked outmatching outclass. And I was even tempted to say this that, but I will say this you know on the record on this podcast is Middle Tennessee 42 points worse than Army? No, but they were 42 points worse than Army on that day, and that's all that matters. Yeah, well said. Um, <laughs> the cadets just really—I mean, well—I know the team on the field is not the cadets. The cadets in the stands were certainly entertaining, <laughs> as I, I pointed out on Twitter. Um, but <laughs> the uh, the Black Knights on the field—I mean—just really showed their usual prowess running the ball. And as hard as that is to prepare for, you you got to have your team in a little better shape, uh, ready to play against uh, you know a team like that on this on that kind of stage. Um, you know, and, and given everything that's going on. Um, so let's move on then to North Texas hosting Houston Baptist. They win that game 57 to 31. Um, we, I know Seth Luttrell going into this game was, uh, going with two different quarterbacks and, uh, we saw most of, uh, mostly Jason Bean and Austin Ani, also a little bit of case and Martin, um, Honestly, you know, I know Jason Bean had three touchdowns and the one interception uh, went for 11 of 18 for 217 yards. Um, but, you know, really, I think the the main star of this offense for North Texas was the rushing game uh, with a combination of DeAndre Torrey and, and Oscar Attaway. And, you know, we made a lot of appropriate Houston Baptist jokes last <laughs> week. Um, but, you know, with just the when you look at the amount of yards they were able to get versus the uh, smaller amount of carries that just kind of shows what kind of competition they were up against. But uh, you know, I think North Texas showed that, you know, they're not in a horrible spot, but they definitely need to, um, you know, get the offense, uh, particularly that signature passing attack a little bit more figured out before they head into conference play here. Yeah, that's your big takeaway. I'm going to start with Houston Baptist. I know I made a ton of Houston Baptist jokes, and even our guy, you know, I, who knew that, you know, you got to watch from inside for the attacks. Our guy, Jared Kalmus, let us know that he was a for the Houston Baptist jokes. Uh, in all seriousness, they have a great quarterback in Bailey Zappi, someone who is an NFL prospect, 6'3", 210 pounds, uh, 39-62 for 480, three touchdowns, no picks. Yes, a lot of that was behind, but I'm going to give him credit. As an FCS quarterback, how many times do you see those guys? I mean, you know, at least throw a, a, just a bad pick here or there, have a turnover. He played outstanding. So I'm going to give Houston Baptist their credit there. My big takeaway from uh, North Texas, just the the, the defense. Um, yes, again, a lot of that was in garbage time, right, where Houston Baptist was coming from behind. But it, it's just a fact of the matter. If North Texas is really going to push and be the program that Seth Luttrell had them, you know, a year or two ago, you can't be giving up this amount of that amount of yardage to uh, North Texas. I believe they gave up something like 569 total yards. That's just not going to cut it. You hit on the quarterbacks pretty well. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, the running game, you know, we saw the return of Deandre Torrey, who was someone who quite frankly, I was surprised at how quickly he fell behind Trey Siggers last year. 
Not saying that DeAndre Torrey may have reclaimed the number one spot, even on the dev chart, Trey Siggers are still listed. But if they can get that from him, as well as uh, Oscar Attaway, and have a three-headed rushing attack, that would be huge. And I think that would be the thing, that if the defense cannot improve and they can get a rushing attack with a passing attack, North Texas will be in the hunt. Interesting. Uh, yeah, definitely curious to see what Seth Luttrell can do with his team uh, from this moment on. Uh, certainly, a, a, not, it's a long season, but a shorter season comparatively. But um, if we've seen anybody kind of uh, turn their season around, it, it's Seth Luttrell. So we'll see how he's able to do that there. Um, UTEP hosted Stephen F. Austin. Uh, 24-14 to 14 was the final there. Uh, Gavin Hardison stepped up with a uh, passing touchdown, 212 yards through the air. And then, of course, Deion Hankins, 17 carries for 113 yards and two touchdowns on the ground there. Um, so... Like we said last week, this is probably going to be UTEP's only one of the season uh, against an FCS opponent in Stephen F. Austin there. Um, the saga for them gets uh, all the more um, frustrating if you're a UTEP fan with the news that uh, former starting running back Quadras Wadley has opted out of the 2020 season along with several other plays across college football. Um, but that adds uh, another wrinkle to uh, what could be a yet another tough year for the minor faithful. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Joe. This was the game that I watched most of. I, there was a, another game at night. I believe it was – it may have been SMU and – no, no, it was Memphis. Memphis and Arkansas State. I, I chose to watch UTEP because I really want to sit down and watch a UTEP game start to finish and see just what exactly they were building before trying to assess Dana Dimmel. I'm going to be optimistic. I think they have something in Gavin Hardison, Deion Hankins, and Jacob Cowling. If Dana Dimmel has any shot of rebuilding the minors – it's going to be with a youth movement. It's not going to be with, you know, no disrespect to Kyle Loxley, because as I've said at Nazim on his podcast, he wasn't the only issue last year, but it's not going to be with a grad transfer or a Juco guy or those short-term fixes. It's going to be with the guys who Dimmel's actually recruited and they're going to have to get the playing time. So Dion Hankins, yes, it was against uh, um, Stephen F. Austin, but he looked like a man amongst boys. He just looked like a Jerome Bettis throwback, like Mike Allstott type of running back, just running through everybody. He had 17 for 113, uh, 17 carries for 113 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Jacob Cowing hauled in seven passes for a buck 16. And Gavin Hardison, I think that's the right move, going with a, a traditional pocket passer so you can get the receiving game going as opposed to maybe that dual threat, you know, trying to mix in here or there. So I'll be optimistic as far as UTEP because they fell behind Joe 14 to three. And I, I think I was uh, in charge of the underdog dynasty Twitter account that time when I sent out the, uh, the old gif of, you know, the dog and everything's flaming around. I'm like, this is fine. <laughs> you know, like, uh, right. It, right. It just looked like that might've been a bad situation. If UTEP was to lose to an FCS opponent to win this, win the, uh, to open the the year, excuse me. But the fact that they came back and won and, and looked uh, um, dominant in the second half, Good for them. But yeah, that's just my major takeaway, Joe, is that uh, if anything's going to happen for them, it's going to be with the youth movement. And um, quickly on your point on Quadras Wadley, yeah, I mean, it, it, it looked like he wasn't fully healthy recovering from the foot injury from last year. So probably good for him to opt out. And of course, he won't lose a year of elig eligibility. But um, biggest thing, youth movement, y you know, play the guys who you recruited and let the chips fall to where they may. It's going to be, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, it's going to be, you know, interesting to see what happens with all these guys who opted out for the 2020 season and kind of what their future entails. Um, but it, you know, we're in weird times. So it's going to be 
curious to see what uh, what becomes of Quadris Wadley's football career from here. Um, speaking of players no longer on rosters, before we jump into uh, a discussion on Southern Miss and Jay Hobson, uh, Jacquez Sloan, no longer part of Western Kentucky's football team per Jared McDonald. Um which Western Kentucky confirmed to uh, the daily news there. Um, You know, I I think Western Kentucky obviously didn't need a hit to their passing game here in a year where they're going to uh, obviously have a new starting quarterback. Um, But, you know, I think it's extra frustrating because uh, with the departure of of Lucky Jackson last year, I think a lot of people were looking to uh, Sloan to add some leadership to that receiving core and, um, you know, really bring just kind of the just the in-game experience more than anything. So big hit for the tops there. Yeah. See, I think you you hit the nail on the head as far as, you know, offensively. Yes. You and I have talked about this ad nauseum as far as they've got Gage Walker, they've got Gage Walker and you do. And quite frankly, with that defense, that's probably enough to get them through Conference USA East, but you at least want to have some veteran talent coming back, especially when you mentioned the loss of Lucky Jackson. So we'll see what's going to happen there. I mean, Jaquez Sloan, just kind of a do do it all type of guy, um, versatile guy, five nine, a buck sixty five. So um, someone you can line in the slot, someone you can line up outside, given in reverse. But they still do have some guys. You know, they've got Xavier Lane, who's a six four, two hundred pound redshirt senior. Uh, Jaquez Pearson, a kid out of Fort Lauderdale, Flanagan High School. And um, I, I, I almost tried to remember, is Quinn Jernigan still on that roster? I don't believe so. I think he's actually finally graduated. So, yeah, I mean, the loss of Jaquez Sloan does hurt, but they do have some other guys on the roster who can um, – who uh, can. I know Dayton Wade is another kid who was a three-star recruit out of Atlanta. So they've got some talented guys, but they're going to kind of be similar to FAU where they have guys who don't necessarily have the most time on the field but um, are talented. So we'll see what happens with uh, with the um, program there with Western Kentucky and Tyson Helton. Yet another challenge for Tyson Helton as he gets the tops prepared for their season opener against UofL coming up uh, in a couple of days here. Um, but let's talk about the big news bomb from this past week, and that's, of course, Jay Hobson resigning as the Southern Miss football coach. Uh, Scotty Walden will resume interim duties uh, while they figure out what their term long plan is here. Um, and uh, because this is just kind of what we do when uh, coaching jobs open up um Let's talk about some potential candidates. Um, I think Scotty Walden would be a, a decent enough uh, coach, would be his first uh, D1 head coaching job, uh, was a head coach at a D3 East Texas Baptist University for a year um, before he came to Southern Miss. So it does have leadership experience. Uh, and obviously, we're going to see what he's uh, he's made of from uh, you know game management and perspective and whatnot uh, over the next couple of weeks as Southern Miss tries to rebound from, like we talked about, that frustrating loss to uh, South Alabama. Um, the Clarion Ledger threw out some candidates <laughs> to potentially replace Jay Hobson uh, earlier this week, um, some of them being pretty ridiculous, if I'm being completely honest. But let, let's just talk about some of the uh, potential more likely, I'll say this. Um, Hugh Freeze is one. Um, Liberty University, obviously, uh, they're facing some pretty significant financial troubles right now. So in, it, it's looking more and more likely that, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks at that university are going to be looking for work sooner rather than later, unfortunately. Um, but that, that's one candidate that uh, 
the article brings up Tyro Nix, uh, UTSA defensive coordinator and linebackers coach is another one. Um, Todd Monken is, is mentioned Larry Fedora, which uh, I don't really see him heading back to G5 after, you know, making the move to uh, be the offensive coordinator at, under the new regime at Baylor. But, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts there, Eric. Like, who do you think is a realistic candidate, other than obviously Scotty Walden, who's the interim right now, to replace Jay Hobson as the head coach? Okay, I want to start with Tyrone Nix. I think it's an interesting name, considering the fact that he played at Southern Miss, uh, has a lot of experience with the with the program started coaching career there from 95 to 2004. So, I mean, he's he's been there and done that and knows Hattiesburg. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be an exciting hire. I also think this is just my opinion, Joe, and I'll you know get your opinion on this as well. I think we are in a trend where you kind of look for a offensive minded guy, um, especially in conference USA. If you can get someone who's offensive minded and really kind of come up with a um, imaginative, creative type of offensive style of play, you can really put up some points and do some things there is, is with um, Jack Abraham and, and your quarterback situation. I, I agree with you as far as the Larry Fedoras of the world, Hugh Freeze. That's an interesting situation to keep a name on. <laughs> you, 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 the names that, that uh, I'm sorry, I have to mention the names that were that were mentioned there. Uh, Deion Sanders and um, and uh, and Art Bryles. Yeah, that that's laughable. Uh, we also have to look at this kid, Scotty Waldron. Um, Scotty Waldron, excuse me. And uh, forgive me for calling him a kid. He, he's, uh, you know, two years older than me. So he's a, a grown adult. I, I, I sincerely apologize for calling him a kid. Um, I think, and this is what I want to get your opinion on. This is a nine game audition to see what he can do. And if he is able to do something with Southern Miss throughout the <laughs> final nine games and Jack Abraham looks as if he's having success, I would have no problem giving him the job. I, he does fit the mold of being a young offensive guy. Southern Miss, quite frankly, uh, Jay Hobson's salary at $500,000 was ranked last at Conference USA. So if they're not looking to spend a ton, it fits that criteria as well. And I think that's something, something that would be interesting. So I want to get your opinion on this, Joe. Would you, because someone made a point to me on Twitter, and it's, I, I thought it was one worth raising on the podcast. If you are an assistant coach from one of the conferences that is not playing, the Big Ten, Pac-12, et cetera. Would it be interesting if Southern Miss maybe looked at one of those guys and said, hey, let's find one of those assistants who maybe has some recruiting ties in the South and we'll name you the head coach in waiting and you'll have a full, well, I mean, September, October, November, December, January, February. You'll, you get like four or five months of a head start on everyone else as far as building your staff and recruiting. I think that could be interesting if you don't want to go with one of the names that have been uh, listed there. Unless Scotty Walden just ends up to be an absolute dumpster fire of a head coach, I think you have to at least look into the possibility of bringing him in and then giving him, you know, a, a, obviously a pay bump, but it would be a significantly smaller pay bump than somebody who, you know, has had significant D1 success or even someone who has uh, head coaching experience at the D1 level. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it would behoove Southern Miss to keep Scotty Waldron, uh, you know, or Scotty Walden rather around as the head coach, provided he proves he can do the job. Yeah, I mean, you know, no, no gripes there. And like I said, I, I'm pretty high on Scotty Walden. I, I think unless, like you said, unless this thing just goes to heck 
and uh, I, I would use a stronger word. This is a family friendly podcast. Um, unless things just turn to poo, I, I don't necessarily see how they may not get a better option than him and one that is cost efficient as well. Yeah, completely makes sense. Um, so another interesting saga that's unfolding in CUSA in the midst of everything else happening in college football. Uh, but good news on the uh, on the front of entertaining games for the weekend as we jump into the week two preview. The Miami Hurricanes hosting the UAB Blazers at Hard Rock Stadium at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on the ACC network. Um, You know, I think, Eric, you've said a few times that you expect UAB to win this game, uh, which definitely stranger things have happened when it comes to G5 versus uh, P5 football. Uh, I believe FIU beat Miami in Hard Rock Stadium last season. So uh, Miami certainly no stranger to losing to CUSA teams, but uh, would absolutely be a shot in the arm for the conference and uh, for, you know, this young college football season as a whole. The FIU fans listening will correct you. That was at Marlins Park. The only reason I make that correction is because that oh, was the, right. form, the former home of the once-storied Miami Hurricane football program. Uh, yeah, I've been on the record throughout the offseason is saying that UAB can beat Miami. I am not necessarily going to waffle now and go back on that, but I, I was really hoping that Tyler Johnson would have turned the corner with the pick. And to see that type of just bad interception week one, that one gave me pause because I really thought that he would make that next step. And that's what I was hinging it on. So. Um, I still absolutely believe that UAB can win this ball game, but I have gone from a will win this ball game to can win this ball game because they're going to need the A game from the quarterback position. Quite frankly, I think they'll be able to run the football. I think Spencer Brown um, will be able to, you know, um, do what he can do. And I think defensively, they'll be able to do some things. Listen, I'm a huge fan of that secondary. I think guys like Dijon Turner and Bronte Harris and, you know, all, all that uh, the, the whole returning secondary are really talented guys, TD Marshall, etc. And I've been, you know, I haven't been shy about this for the past 15 years since I was, you know, an elementary school kid, 15, 20 years. We've been told that Miami is back. Right. And the last time the Hurricanes were a great program, I think you and I both were in elementary school or early middle school. Uh, Derek King, great G5 player. Can he get it done on the P5 level? Same thing with Quincy Roche. So, like I said, um, I was going from a will win to a can win as far as USB is concerned. I see. Yeah, I, I definitely... I'm going to stay in that camp with you. Uh, I think UAB definitely can win this game. I think we kind of saw some uh, some issues that they need to work out over the course of that UCA game. But uh, obviously the talent on Bill Clark's squad is still there. So hopefully that uh, this Hurricane team um, doesn't come ready to play if you're a CUSA fan. But, um, y- you know, the U is still the U. So we'll we'll see what happens in, in that contest. Um that, of course, on Thursday night and then moving into Saturday, App State hosting the Charlotte 49ers. Um, we saw this contest uh, be pretty entertaining last year. Um, and we, you can catch that at noon on ESPN2 live from Kid Brewer Stadium in Boone. Uh, App State favored by 17. I think that's fair um, based on what we've seen this App State program uh, be able to accomplish over the last couple of years. I feel pretty confident in picking them. However, um, you know, and mostly that's also just because Charlotte, I think, you know, they're going to need 
a little bit of time to work at the kinks as is every team really. And uh, it's unfortunate that they're going up against um, one of the better G5 programs in general against app state to start the year. But um, I, I still have no doubt that Will Healy has this program moving in the right direction, but it, it's not necessarily going to shine through all that clearly on Saturday. Yeah, I'm going to take App State. I mean, the big thing here, of course, you got to look at their quarterback and that Zach Thomas. I mean, the, the guy is is one of the best G5 quarterbacks, um, you know, just out there in general. I, I think the big thing for Charlotte that you want to see is defensively, how will they match up? They did lose Alex Highsmith, and that is, you know, uh, one of the top pass rushers in all of Conference USA and G5 football. I don't expect them to miss a beat offensively. I know Benny LeMay is a stud. I, no one's been a bigger Benny LeMay fan this podcast or in general than me, but I think Trey Harbison will come in and fill the role really well. Obviously these predictions are making, we're making our uh, based on, you know, the roster that's been made available to us. We don't know if you have a situation where you get to uh, Boone and, you know, you don't have five receivers, right? So let's just, you know, take that with a grain of salt there. But with that being said, I, I do think Charlotte will perform well. I don't think this is going to be a situation like when they went to Clemson and, you know, just were completely outclassed. Um, but Zach Thomas, I mean, one of the better quarterbacks thrown for over 2000 yards the past two years, 20 touchdowns last year, 2,700 yards, 28 TDs to six picks. So um, I, I think that app state's going to win. We are in agreement there. And moving into the uh, 3.30 Eastern time slot on ESPN2, we have Texas State hosting UTSA uh, in San Marcos. I believe Texas State is favored by 7.5, but here's the thing. I think UTSA is going to take this one. I'm really excited to see uh, Sincere McCormick uh, break out of his shell for his uh, sophomore campaign here. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the more fascinating games of the weekend, but I think the Roadrunners are going to open up the uh, 2020 campaign with a victory here. Really quick, Joe, did you happen to catch any of the Texas Tate game last week? I did. They gave uh, they gave SMU a run for their money, but um, I don't know. I, I based on everything that's gone on with the Texas State program in the last couple of years, I you'll forgive me if I'm doubting their sustainability <laughs> on that <laughs> end. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not saying UTSA is um, all that much better of a program when you compare the two, but um, I definitely think they just have more talent right now and it's going to serve them well. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, <laughs> the reason I asked is because they don't have Johnny Manziel, but they damn sure got Johnny Manziel light. Uh, and Brady McBride, uh, you know, um, that's what I saw from him from my, he's a, a transfer from Memphis. And that's the first thing I saw. I was like, he's not quite Johnny football, but he's like poor man's Johnny football. You know, like if you pull up to the club and, and like, you know, your boy's pulling up in a Maserati and you're pulling up in like, you know, a Mazda and trying to, but it's a really good Mazda, but at the end of the day, it's a Mazda. Um, <laughs> so yeah, on to the actual prediction here. Uh, I'm going to go with Texas State. I, I I was really impressed with the performance they put up against FMU. I think for UTSA, they have enough talent. I want to see who is the quarterback A between Frank Harris, JoJo Weeks, Lowell Narcisse, and the other kid there. I believe Josh Adkins is his name. Um, I usually the New Mexico State transfer. My memory serves me correct. Since here, McCormick is legit, but I just want to see what they're able to do first before I go on a limb and pick them. So uh, give me Johnny Manziel light. <laughs> nothing wrong with mazdas by the way just want to put that out there i drive a mazda uh, by the way. So yeah fine car 
<laughs> this episode of the underdog podcast brought to you by Mazda Motors. Um, and with that, <laughs> we'll move into uh, the 8 p.m. time slot on the Longhorn Network as uh, as number 14, Texas hosts UTEP. Uh, Texas rightly favored by 43 in this game. Um, you know, I, it remains to be seen where Texas is going to fall in terms of the, uh, you know, national pecking order, but, uh, there's certainly a better program than the UTEP miners right now. So there's not really too much else to say other than, you know, expect a lot of points to be put up by the, uh, you know, the team in white helmets on, on Saturday. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there since it is UTEP versus Texas and UTEP struggled with, uh, SFA, Stephen F. Austin. We know that they have some nice pieces in places I mentioned, but no real, nothing really to add there. I'm just going to go off on a tangent and say, hey, um, any possibility or hope? We know Joe is the engagement on this podcast. Any possibility I hoped of uh, using this podcast to leverage into groupies? I think I lost it when I said I drive a Mazda. So uh, with that, I'll say <laughs> You know what? Never underestimate the power of a Mazda in Florida of all places. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> and then up in uh my neck of the woods in louisville uh we got the cardinals hosting the western kentucky hilltoppers in uh, a battle for uh supremacy in the bluegrass state um on the acc network louisville favored by 11 and a half to start here um i think this is going to be interesting i'm going to pick the cardinals but i think this is going to come down to uh i think this is going to come down to some last seconds uh, heroics here. I think Scott Satterfield has Louisville going in the right direction for sure, as does Tyson Helton with uh, his program at the Hilltoppers. But, um, you know, I, I think Tyson Helton is going to use this game a little bit to just kind of figure out what he has in terms of mainly his quarterback, but just kind of his offense as a whole. So, I, you know, I'm expecting a lot to still need to be ironed out as far as the Hilltoppers are concerned. But, um, you know, I, I think that's mainly what we're going to see here. A, a Louisville team that you know, is just going to outmatch the Hilltoppers in terms of overall talent and just kind of ride it to, uh, you know, in typical week one Louisville fashion, sort of a lazy win. This one is so tough, right? Because I think you just touched on the point I was going to make, which is Louisville's known for slow starts. And yes, they have Michael Cunningham and um, Javion Hawkins, two studs at quarterback and running back, respectively. Uh, man, I want to pick Western, but I can't quite pull the trigger. If they had Ty Story or if they at least had, you know, some of those running backs coming back, uh, not running backs, receivers, excuse me. Sorry, Gage Walker. At least had some of those receivers coming back. I'd feel more confident. Or if this were a normal offseason, because I think the biggest thing that suffered because of the coronavirus shutdown is defense. I think um, defense is something that kind of takes time to gel. And I've seen just a little bit of sloppy play, especially on the defensive side in the opening weeks. So if this were a regular offseason, I'd say give me that Western Kentucky defense. But I think uh, Louisville's going to win. I think it'll be tight, but I'm going to go with Louisville as well. A lot of potentially tight contests on the uh, radar for this week. But I think we said that about a few of the games last week that ended up being blowouts. So who knows? Um, but certainly uh, we have football back and that's nothing to complain about. Um, thank you all so much for listening once again to the Underdog Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, please do so. Check us out on Spotify too. Uh, and of course, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like them on Facebook if you are still using that platform. And of course, uh, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric. 
Eric C. Henry, if you want to follow the two of us. And uh, we'll be posting content to uh, underdogdynasty.com throughout the season to uh, you know keep you posted on all the uh, happenings in CUSA and G5 football as a whole. Bye, Mazda. Happy football watching, everybody. Thank you.